Marcy and I had the, uh, have had the honor, privilege, whatever you want to call it, the joy, uh, the delight, whatever you want to call it, of having, uh, of having, getting the opportunity to be in New Orleans, Louisiana, for a couple of different times. And it's a wonderful city, uh, great history. And when we were there, that we were actually there twice. The first time we were there, we had come from a, we'd been at a youth ministries conference. So it's been a long, it's been a long time ago. I don't want to tell you how long ago, how long ago it's been. But we had come out of a youth ministries conference, and, and for, it was for our anniversary. We thought we'd go to New Orleans, and you know why not? You know we're close, so let's go to New Orleans. We've never been there. And I'm telling you, I'm a Cajun food fan. Oh my goodness, I can't get enough. And then, and then this was the first time we had been we'd been exposed to the Cafe du Monde and beignets. And I'm telling you, if you have not had a beignet, I feel so sorry for you this morning. It is just the most marvelous experience in the world. It's a little square donut that pops that puffs up real big, and they just lavish it with uh, powdered sugar and, oh, good grief. It's just good. It's just good. My mouth is watering. My, you know, I'm just getting ready. You know, oh, it's just good stuff. Anyway, prior to our leaving and going to New Orleans, we thought it's going to be our anniversary, so let's do something special. We didn't know anything about the city, so please understand. We didn't know a thing about the city other than it was in Louisiana, and it was in the Bayou country, and there was a lot of history there. That was about all we knew. So we thought, you know, we're going to be there, so let's book a hotel in the French Quarter. So that's what I did. And I booked an 18th century historic hotel right in the center of the French Quarter. I knew about the French, all about I knew. So we got there, and we're all excited. We check into our hotel room, and we walk into our hotel room, and we went, this is just weird. We, f- we felt so uncomfortable, and we, <laughs> we didn't know what it was. We were like kind of looking at each other going, what what is this? This is just strange. We, and we just were so unsettled. And you have to understand too, we're coming out of a a wonderful week of of just God doing great things in our lives as as a couple of young folks who are doing their very best in ministry and in youth ministry. And so we're we're excited about what God had done. We just didn't feel right. We just felt uneasy. But we thought, well, okay, you know, whatever, and so let's go out and explore the city. So we, it was early in the afternoon, so we went out, we started exploring the city, and our eyes were opened quite quickly. Right bordering our hotel, our hotel was kind of a, a courtyard, it had a square courtyard, and our room bordered one of the other businesses that was in the French Quarter. Well, that one of those businesses was a voodoo and witchcraft shop. That was on our, literally, it was probably on the same wall as our hotel room. And we kind of went, oh, what was that? We walk a few more steps, and I'll just say it this way. We saw the seedier side of New Orleans. And I had, honestly, we were about as naive as you could possibly imagine. We were thinking we are going to get into this wonderful historical place, and it was going to be and we were messed up. So we went back to our hotel room, and we're walking around the room, laying our hands on the furniture in the name of Jesus. You know, we were just, we were just overwhelmed with what we were sensing. So the next day, I went to the, I went to the front desk, and I said, uh, we're checking out. I know we got, we have, we're going to be like three nights or four nights. I don't know what it was. We're checking out. Thank you very much. Everything okay? Well, not, not so much, but we're going to leave. So... We left the hotel. 
we left the hotel, and I, I'm not exaggerating. Now, maybe, you know, maybe a few years removed embellishes the story a little bit, which that's okay if it does. But it was literally, the moment we walked across the street, out of the French Quarter, we felt okay. And we went to the Hilton Hotel down by the River Walk and had a wonderful three days, enjoying the rest of New Orleans, and we were completely at peace and at ease. Now you say, well, what is that all about? Well, here's what it's all about. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. We're talking about a sixth sense. A sixth sense. Now, I'm not talking about the, the movie of that same name that Bruce Willis and I see dead people and all that stuff. That's not what I'm talking about. Okay. Just get that out of your mind. Get that out of your mind. Forget it. Forget I even said it. A sixth sense. Or, let me give you another word. Discernment. Discernment. It, it's something that each one of us, as a follower of Christ, desperately needs. And we need to understand what discernment is, but we also need to know how discernment acts and interacts in our life of faith, and how important it is to our spiritual health and well-being. One of the cool things about this series in Nehemiah, now remember the, the, the overall context of this book is a rebuilding of the walls, and it's, it's really Nehemiah's extraordinary leadership that accomplishes this great this great task for God. And in the midst of all of this, he, he so desperately needs all of the things that God will provide him to accomplish that which God has called him to do. Every one of us at some point is in a rebuilding process. All of us are. We're rebuilding our relationships. We're rebuilding our professions. We're rebuilding family. We're rebuilt in every, in kind of in every, every area of our life. So we need all that God has for us to rebuild. And one of those very important elements is discernment, is discernment. 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, let me read you just a few verses. It kind of, it gives us kind of this insight as to what spiritual gifts are. There are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same spirit is the source of of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God, work, I love this, God works in different ways, but it's the same God who does the work in all of us. Listen to this. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. Isn't that good? He gives someone else the ability to discern whether a message is from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. It is the one and the only Spirit who distributes all these gifts, and He alone decides which gift each person should have. I, I love this. I love this passage of scripture, and obviously we don't have a we don't have the time to go into a discussion more in depth about spiritual gifts. We will at some point, but understand that God is the one who dispenses these gifts. He gives these gifts to us as we need them. Okay, now hear that as we need them, and I'll just say we need discernment. We need a God-given sixth sense. Not what we see with our eyes, hear with our ears, and taste, and touch. No, no, no. We need something deep within our spirit that resonates as to what we should do, and what we shouldn't do, and how we should act, and what we should say. God's spirit will give that to all of us as we need it. Discernment is just simply separating a truth from a lie. 
Separating a truth from the lie. Here's what Charles Spurgeon said. I love this. It's knowing the difference between right and almost right. Isn't that good? What's right and almost right. So when, when I think about discernment in my own life, here's kind of the way I would, I would describe it. There's just something that's, there's more than meets the eye. Something isn't quite right. Things aren't just adding up. Now, understand something. I'm not talking about the gift of suspicion. Okay, there's a big, <laughs> by the way, suspicion's not a spiritual gift. Nor is discouragement, although some people think that both of those gifts are of the Spirit. They're not. They're not. So that's not it's not being suspicious. But rather, it is allowing the Spirit of God who indwells every one of us to be sensitive to the things around us so that what we do in every way honors God. I want everything in my life to honor God. Amen? I hope the same would be true of all of us. Discernment helps us do that. It helps us distinguish that which is right from that which is almost right. So that we're not taken captive by things that pull us down away from what God would be pleased with in each of our lives. So this morning we're going to talk about this God-given sixth sense. Now I'm going to read a long passage of scripture. And if you're following along at home, it's on version. You can find it in the, in the notes below our YouTube feed, also in our, in our Facebook feed. But if you're with the version, or if you have your Bibles, turn. And I encourage you, when you come into the house... Bring your Bible, or bring that electronic version thereof, and look with me at Nehemiah chapter number 6. We're going to begin at verse number 1, and that's on the screens for you as well to help. Long passage, 16 verses, so hang with me, okay? Here we go. When the word came to Samballot, Tobiah, Geshep the Arab, and the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall, and not a gap was left in it. Though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me, so I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message. And each time I gave them the same answer. Then the fifth time... Sanballat sent his aid to me with the same message, and in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you're building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you're about to become their king, and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let us meet together. And I sent him this reply, nothing like what you are saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work, and, and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was shut, it, shut in at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple. Let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night, they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I'll not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Noadiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate 
me. Pray with me. Lord, thanks for your word. Speak life to us today, we pray. In the name of Jesus, speak, Lord, because we're listening. In your name we pray. Amen. Two things. Two things. The first, and they're both rather lengthy, okay? So don't get excited. All right, we're going to be out here in like 10 minutes. This is great. No, 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 no. Hang on. We're going to be here a while. I'm teasing. Not too long. It's going to be good. Two things. Two things. The first is this. Needing a sixth sense. Needing a sixth sense. I'm pretty confident this morning we all know the difference between wants and needs, okay? Now, in case you don't, let me give you a little example. Let's say, Marcy says, Gary, would you go to the grocery store with, for me? And I said, absolutely, honey, be happy to. And by the way, I do enjoy going to the grocery store, so it's not a big deal. I'm happy to do it all the time. Would you go to the grocery store? And she hands me a list. There's 10 things on the list. Now, I get to the grocery store and I start running around, and I notice that on the list, Rocky Road is not there. Now, first of all, I get a little upset that it's not a need at that point. Now, what I do is I go to the frozen foods and to the ice cream section, and I grab Rocky Road. Now, here's what's happened. It's not a need, it's a want. Now, it's not necessarily it's a bad thing to want it, that's not it, but it wasn't a need. So we kind of understand, even with that silly example, the difference between wants and needs. And while we may want a sixth sense, while we may want discernment, which is good, we need it. We need it. It transcends a want. You see, to want something is to feel a need or a desire. A need, on the other hand, is a requirement, necessary duty, or obligation. You see the difference between the two? It is really stark, and it's incredibly important when it comes to discernment. And in the rebuilds of your life, and in the rebuilds of my life, in the rebuilds of Crossroads Church at this particular time, where we are coming back together, we need discernment. We need a sixth sense. And I'm asking each of you, even as a little sidebar, pray for Easter weekend. Pray for Easter weekend. Pray that God will use this as a catalyst of something that is so incredible for the future of our church. We need discernment. You see, understand this. Nehemiah saw through Samballot, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and you notice how the, the text says, and the rest of our enemies. People were piled up against them, but Nehemiah saw through it. And here's what we've got to grasp. And I could be, I'm just telling you, honestly, this morning, this may come off as a, as a bit harsh, and I don't want it to because it's not how I'm intending it, but I want you to hear me. Please understand, those individuals were merely pawns in the devil's manipulative campaign to frustrate God's work. Does it mean that everybody that stands in opposition to us is a tool of the enemy? No, not at all. Not at all. But I also understand this. I've got to be discerning and have a sixth sense, and I need to be able to recognize when the enemy is at work in the opposition that I am facing when I am doing the work of the Lord, and so do you. Every one of us in this room are doing the work of the Lord in some way. Whether it is serving in a healthcare profession, whether it is raising a family, whether it is being the very best employee that you can be, 
whether it is being a person of integrity in every area of your life, you are doing the Lord, the work of the Lord, and there will be opportunities, or rather there will be those who will attack and push against that to frustrate that which you are doing because it gives God a good name. It's just reality. We need discernment. We need discernment. And there are five different things that Nehemiah that, po- that kind of point this out in Nehemiah's experience. And they're good for us to grab onto. The first one is this. It was due to clever schemes. You'll notice that the text even says they were scheming. Nehemiah says that they were scheming. He picked it up. Here's what they said. Hey, Nehemiah, take a break. You've been working hard on the wall. Let's go out to the desert of Ono. And that was in between Samaria and Jerusalem. So it was about halfway. And what I understand, part of what I read, it was a well-watered place. It was kind of like an oasis. It was kind of a, a vacation. It was like, let's go to the desert and hang out by the pool and, you know, just just talk a little bit. That was kind of what it was. Take a break. Take a break. He says, but wait a minute. Wait a minute. They sent in the same message four times. They were scheming. So he said, oh no, to oh no. Wasn't going to do it because he saw through it. He saw what they were doing because he realized, wait a minute, I'm, in the, I'm involved in a great project here. I can't be pulled away. And these guys are, are trying to do something. There's something more than meets the eye. Do you, do you hear this? There's something more than meets the eye. But he was attuned to this. Understand something. Four times. The adversary of your soul is relentless in his attacks against you, and he will not back down. He will continue to push and push and push, and it may be the same thing over and over and over and over again. You notice I did four times because that's what they did to Nehemiah. Four times, same message. Four times. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, so that we would not be exploited by the adversary, Satan, for we know his clever schemes. He is scheming against you and me to frustrate the work of God in your life. The second thing is it was in light of false accusations. So after these four times, it came to him in the fifth time with the same message you'll notice. Same message, but this time, Sanballat's aid came with an open letter. What does that mean? It means that Sanballat's aide, in front of everybody, began to read the accusations that they were making against Nehemiah, which were false. He was being falsely accused of something that he did not do and was not intending to do. Have you ever been falsely accused? I'll tell you something. I have, and it stings. It stings. And it's a rumor mill that starts. And I... And I get to thinking, what what is the best way? How can we confront this? How do we confront it? I picked up something from Chuck Swindoll that I thought was great about rumors. The first thing he said, he says, deny the charge. If it's not true, if you're innocent, say so. Declare it. It's not true. What did Nehemiah do? He says, you are making this stuff up out of your head. It's not true. The second thing, which I think is terrific, he placed the blame where it belonged. He said, no, this is you guys. You guys are after whatever. He pointed to the right place for the blame. And then lastly, he took his hurt to God. He prayed. He prayed, God. But God, that's what he said. But he prayed. 
It's really important for us to understand that accusations falsely are going to come against us when we are doing the work of the Lord. But remember Revelation chapter number 12. And I heard a loud voice shouting across heavens, the heavens. It has come at last, salvation and power in the kingdom of our God and the authority of His Christ. Look at this. For the accuser of our brothers, hallelujah, the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, and the one who accuses them before our God day and night, and they have defeated him by the blood of the Lamb and by their testimony. We do not need to live in a place of receiving false accusation. No, we declare, we declare it's not true. No, we point the blame in the right place. We pray to God and we understand that God will defeat the adversary of our souls. He will not stop, but Christ is stronger. Amen? Amen. Amen. We need to live it. The devil will falsely accuse us day and night. Do you hear me? He will falsely accuse you day and night. You will lay awake at night and he will tell you lie after lie after lie. He will defame. He will discredit. He will point out things in your life that and we just have at that moment to remember what the Apostle John said in 1 John chapter 4. God's spirit who is in you is greater than the devil who is in the world. We take authority over him in the name of Jesus when the false accusations come. The third thing is it was because of fearful possibilities. The phrase, they were trying to frighten us. There it is. They were trying to frighten us. It's telling. Fear is a potent adversary. What fear does, as you would know, fear paralyzes you. It stops you dead. You, you just don't take another step. We become afraid and we stop. Well, the enemy of our souls would have, would have it no other way. Essentially, it's playing the what-if game. What if? And we roll down scenario after scenario about what if, what if, what if, what if. What is this? The fearful possibility. Not the truth. Because we already know that the accusations are false, but then fear follows it up and we stop dead in our tracks. We stop the rebuilding process in that relationship restoration. We stop the rebuilding process in our spiritual vitality. We stop the restoration process. Why? Because of fear. Fear. The possibilities that are there. Nehemiah calls it out. His sixth sense kicks in. And doesn't let the accusations affect him at all. Paul said in 2 Timothy, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. Praise God. The second, or the fourth thing, is it's because as a result of veiled motives. Veiled motives. And sometimes <clears throat> this is something that we desperately need discernment to understand and to uncover because it's veiled. And what's really interesting in this, in this particular section, you'll notice a prophet by the name of Shemaiah. Now that seems, and I use, I'm going to use this, prophet. Okay, let me do it one more time. Prophet. Okay, prophet. Someone who is declaring to be the voice of God. But Nehemiah says, wait a minute. Now here's what's interesting. This prophet was locked up in his home for a couple of maybe different reasons. He was faking an illness or he was faking that he was afraid of what Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem were going to do. But as you read the story on, you find out that <laughs> Sanballat and Tobiah had hired this guy to do what? To go after Nehemiah, prophet. So he veils his motives by saying, you know something, this is kind of the word of the Lord for you. What? 
So you need to go to the temple. Go to the temple. Hide in the temple. Close the doors. And you say, well, okay, what would be wrong with that? Well, there's a number of things that are wrong with that. First of all, it would have been wrong for Nehemiah to go to the temple. God didn't use the temple, never prescribed the temple as a place of uh, security or safety under those regards. He provided a thing called cities of refuge. The temple was not made for that. Close the doors behind you. What he's actually saying, Nehemiah, what I want you to do is I want you to go into the holy place. That's what the original text says. The holy place. Nehemiah was not a priest. If he had gone into the holy place, he would have been discredited, defamed, and probably stoned to death. And Nehemiah saw through it. He said, no, veiled motives. Veiled motives. Satan does not want us to have a vibrant, growing relationship with God, to be connected to other believers, or to accomplish the purposes of God that God has for your life. He does not want that in your life or in mine. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 11, listen. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Veiled or in the open, all of them. Hear what I'm going to say, and I say this as your pastor. Okay, This is a pastoral moment because I care about you. I care about your spiritual life. I care about your family. I care about you. Sometimes his veiled strategies can take the form of rest and recreation, overwork and deadlines, lethargy and self-sufficiency. You say, stepping on toes this morning, that's not fair. I need to rest. I need to work. I agree. I do too. But at times, it can push the greater pursuits of the things of God to the side, and it overwhelms them, and it seems like it's okay. Because you just don't understand, Pastor Gary, I've worked 60 hours this week. I get it. You just don't understand. I've got it. I get it. But understand as well, we desperately need the fellowship, the community of the people of God. We need the corporate presence of the Lord in worship. We need the opportunity to have the Holy Spirit challenge our every step, our every thought, our every action so that we are never taken in by the clever schemes and strategies of the adversary. I say that because I love you. And it's important for me as well as it is for you. And the last reason is for the reason of continual intimidations. Continual intimidations. It's really interesting, as I was thinking about this particular point, my mind went to a, a basketball game when I was a sophomore in high school. We were playing one of, our, one of the top teams in our conference. And um, that particular, I, I was, I faced up against a guy that was, he was massive. He was probably, I'm six foot tall, he was probably six, 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 seven. And he was at least 50 pounds more than me. I was, a li- I was little, okay. I was like a buck 50. I mean, I was tiny. I was fast, he couldn't catch me, okay, that was good. But he was big. And I'm telling I can still I can still see his face. Him coming at me, and I think, my goodness, he is going to destroy me. 
I'm going to tell you, I was intimidated. Not only was I intimidated the first time I encountered him, I was intimidated again and again and again and again and again. I got the better of him, though. I did. I did. Strangely enough, I know I'm a little dude, but I got a rebound from him. And I did what I was taught to do. To grab that ball, pull it to my chest, and protect that ball. And when I did, I spun this way as he was going down for the ball. Caught him right there across the forehead, and he was out for the rest of the game. Woo! It was great. I was terrified. I thought he was going to take my head off. No. Anyway, now, again, the story's embellished over years, so just take it for what it's worth. My point is, is I was intimidated by this guy. And I was intimidated over and over and over and over again. Ever had anybody like that in your life? You do if you don't know it. His name is Satan. (laughs) His name is, you know that guy, right? It's interesting, in verses 13, 14, and 19, the same word shows up. Intimidate, intimidate, intimidate. Over and again, Nehemiah is faced with intimidation. We can expect incessant intimidation from the adversary of our souls. It's not going to go away. You say, you mean we're not? No, we're not. Not this side of eternity. 1 Peter 5, listen to this. And I use the, the Passion Translation. And I know that some of you may, if you do a little bit of research, there may be some controversy connected to the Passion Translation. And I'll leave that for you. And I, I kind of understand it. I look at it more as a paraphrase. Probably is probably a better way for me to look at it. So look at, look at what the, this translation says, though. Be well-balanced and always alert because your enemy, the devil, roams around incessantly. That's the reason I chose it is because of that word, incessantly. And it is so descriptive of exactly how the enemy works in your life and in mine. He never stops. He never stops for the reason of continual intimidation. We need a godly sixth sense. We need a godly sixth sense. So I'm going to turn to Richard Foster who wrote a number of books, but this one, the book called Prayer, powerful. In one of the sections, he uses this contrast between need and want, and I want to use it as we bring this point to a close. Here it is. Jesus, bring my wanter more in line with my needer so that I can come to want what I need, discernment. Amen? Amen. The second thing this morning is developing a sixth sense. Not only do we need one, but we need to develop one. And so how do we do that? What is this the simple way or the simple ways of constructing or being, or being more guided and directed and understanding how we can develop a sixth sense in us or discernment within us? The first one is this, be committed to a life of prayer. We, can't, we, cannot, we cannot dismiss this. Nehemiah, nine different times during the book, you see these incredible prayers that he prays. He's, he is a person of prayer. You, you can't deny that if you read the book of Nehemiah. And we should be people of prayer. What does prayer do? Prayer sensitizes us to God. It gets us into a familiar relationship with the Lord. So that when he speaks, we recognize his voice. I mean, it's just that simple. We recognize his voice. Martin Luther said to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible to be alive than without breathing. And I've used that quote before, but it's powerful. You, you just can't be a believer without being a praying believer. First Chronicles 16, 11. These are not in your notes, but I'm going to go through these very quickly. 
First Chronicles 16.11, seek his face always. Psalm 91.15, he will call upon me and I'll answer him. Isaiah 65.24, before they call, I will answer. Matthew 7.7, 7, ask, seek, knock. Matthew 26.41, watch and pray. Luke 18.1, always pray. John 16.24, ask and you will receive. Acts 4.24, they raise their voices together in prayer. Ephesians 6.18, 6, pray in the Spirit, keep on praying. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray continually. James 5.16, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Are we committed to being a praying person? A life that is dedicated to prayer. The second thing to develop a sixth sense is study and know God's Word. Study and know God's Word. Your Word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Your Word is a light to my feet, a lamp to, a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. It is so powerful to know and study the Word of God. It's interesting, you see it in Nehemiah's life praying, but what about the Word? There's a little, three little words, or four little words that he uses. Now strengthen my hands. You say, well, now that's, he says, but I prayed, now strengthen my hands. It's an interesting little phrase, isn't it? There's a very good possibility Nehemiah was actually referencing the prophet Isaiah. And here's what Isaiah said, strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear, your God will come. He will come with a vengeance, with divine retribution, he will come to save you. Now, whether or not that's, exact, that's what Nehemiah was referring to, isn't that powerful? And if you go back to chapter 1 of Nehemiah, verses 7 to 9, you see that he just again and again relates the Word of God, the history of the people of God. What is it? He knew the Word of God. He knew God's Word. Do we know God's Word? I want you to look with me in a minute. I want you to look at a, at a uh, I'm going to point you to an app that I want you to get in just a moment. So just get ready for that. Studying and knowing the Word of God develops a sensitivity to the ways of God. It develops an understanding of the desires of God. It develops a passion for the commands of God and a knowledge of the heart of God. And when these things are in effect in our life, something happens. We're sensitized to what God is saying. And we know when things do not, hear this, we know when things do not align with the Word of God. But we will never know if they align with the Word of God if we don't know the Word of God. And the only way we know the Word of God is to study the Word of God. George Mueller, incredible individual, person of faith, the vigor, listen to this, the vigor of our spiritual life, the vigor of our spiritual life will be in exact proportion to the place held by the Bible in our life and our thoughts. We wonder sometimes, why is our spiritual life so just messed up or non-existent? Or, there it is. There it is. That's the key. Isaiah 40, the grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of God endures forever. Matthew 4, Jesus answered the scriptures saying, no one can live only on food. People need every word that, that God has spoken. Hebrews 4, God means what he says. What he says goes. His powerful word is as sharp as a surgeon's scalpel, cutting through everything, whether doubt or defense, laying us open to listen and obey. 
Nothing and no one can resist God's word. We can't get away from it no matter what. Praise God. Here's an app. You need this app. You need Uversion. If you do not have Uversion on your phone, you need to get it. You say, well, Gary, I can't pay for an app. You don't have to pay for it. It's free. When you open this app, you have 63 versions of the Bible to choose from. You have an option to listen to the Scripture. You have an option for reading plans of every sort and size and type. It's all there. There is no excuse for us to not be people of God's Word. Whether we have a physical Bible or 50 of them like I do, or we've got them on our devices, there's no reason we should not be people of the Word of God. We cannot be. It is what will, this will push your spiritual life forward. It will create discernment within you. It will give you the sixth sense that we so desperately need. Are you studying the Word of God? The third thing is to pursue a life of holiness. We need to be people of prayer. We need to be people of the Word. Nehemiah's life was fueled by prayer and God's Word, which produced in him a life that was holy. You notice I mentioned a little bit ago, Nehemiah, in this portion, Nehemiah 6, verses 11 to 13. Look at this. But I said, should a man like me run away? Now this is about when the prophet Shemaiah said, hey, go to the temple. Okay? I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that they would, I would commit a sin by doing this. Now what's interesting about that is he knew it. And I think, he, I think every one of us would, would admit we kind of know when we stray off the path, don't we? We kind of know when we're just not doing what we ought to be doing. We kind of get it, right? And the more that we fuel our life with prayer and the Word of God, the more that that will become evident in our life. And the more that we will pursue holiness. 1 Peter chapter 1, for it is written, Be holy, because I'm holy. And then we, can, we will then be able to apply what Spurgeon said about discernment. Knowing the difference between right and, right and almost right. We'll know the difference. Holiness fuels that. And finally, we need to ask God for discernment. Now, this may not be directly in the text, but it stands. It just stands to reason. If I need something of God, I'm going to ask Him. Wouldn't that make sense? God, I need discernment. I'm going to tell you, there have been those times, whether it was the, that was exactly the prayer I prayed, there was a prayer very much like that. It might have sounded like this. God, help me. Ever been there? You're walking into a meeting. You're having a situation. Maybe you don't say it out loud, but it is there. You're saying, God help. Why? Because we don't, we don't know what's next. We don't know what's right and what's almost right from, from that kind of 30,000 foot view. But these things fuel us. And so ask God. Psalm 119 verse 125, I am your servant Give me discernment that I may understand your statutes. You see, we not only need discernment to, to just face life, we need discernment to understand what God's Word is saying to us and how we apply it. 1 Corinthians 14, speaking of spiritual gifts, follow the way of love and look, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. God, I need this within my life. Have we, 
here we read that God will give us the Holy Spirit to those who ask. So ask Him. And Paul says to eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Frankly, when I want something, I ask. I ask. So as we bring our time to a close this morning, sixth sense, I need it. We need it. Desperately. And I need discernment in every aspect of my life. Whether it's in my family or whether it's in my vocation, wherever it is, I need discernment. And as our world, hear me, as our world spirals, now I'm not talking about revolve, because it does that all the time, thank God. That's why we're standing here, we got a thing called gravity, it's wonderful, okay? No, it's, it's, it's revolving, it's doing the same thing. No, as our world spirals out of control, you notice that? Have you noticed that our world continues to spiral farther and farther away from God? Things of God? Have you noticed that there are more and more temptations every day? What do we do? We need discernment. We need discernment of spirit so that we know how to navigate this. In every rebuild of your life and in mine, I need a godly sixth sense. So do you. So I want to leave you with two things this morning. Before I do that, I want to read to you Nehemiah 6, verses 15 and 19, the last portion of this chapter. So the wall was completed in the month of Elul in 52 days. This eight-week project is finally done. It's done. Nine-week project. Uh, eight weeks, whatever. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. Also, in those days, the nobles of Judah were sending letters, many letters to Tobiah, and replies from Tobiah kept coming to them, for many in Judah were under oath to him. And Tobiah sent letters to intimidate me. Even when the project was done, even when that which we have committed ourselves to do, we've got it done, hey, it's going to be a time of rest and peace. No more, no, it just keeps on coming. And it shows you the need for discernment at all times. So two things as we close. The first is this. Remember this. The enemy of our soul and your soul is relentless. He's not going to stop. He's not going to stop. Therefore, we need a godly sixth sense. And the second thing is this. The sufficiency of Christ is more than enough to overcome. Praise God. Romans chapter 8. In everything we have won that, we have won more than a victory because of Christ who loves us. Father, thank you for today. We give you honor and praise this morning. We're grateful for your presence. And I thank you that each one of us can have a godly sixth sense. Maybe the simplest of, for us to, to kind of grasp this is just ask. God, we need it. We need it. We get it. We kind of understand why we need it, all the, all the stuff that's going on and the swirling that's around us and spiraling out of control of our world. And the adversary of our souls just constantly attacking us and the intimidation, the false accusations, the schemes. Good night. God, it's just, at times it's overwhelming and I just need to know how to navigate this as a parent, as a teacher, as a, as a doctor, as, Lord, as a, a salesperson, as Whatever it is, God, I need your help. I need a godly sixth sense. As a 
got some rebuilds in my life that I, I'm just not equipped to do on my own. And I need your help. I want to make right decisions. I want to make, I, I want to make the right calls. Let it be so. Pray in Jesus' name. And Lord, this morning, if one person in this room or one person joining us online who does not have a relationship with you, that's, that's the most important thing that we can ever do come to a place where we have a relationship with you. We just make that statement. I can't do this on my own. Jesus, I need your help. I am a sinner. Everyone sinned. Me too. But I'm grateful for a Savior. Grateful for the amazing grace of God. Thank you, Lord. That by grace I'm saved and through faith. Thank you. Thank you. So, Lord, this morning I just ask you into my life. Ask, ask him to save you this morning. That's you. Save me. Save me. And he will. And then, Lord, we ask this morning for a sixth sense, a godly sixth sense, discernment, and all the rebuilds of our life. We need it. Thank you. In Jesus' name. Stand with me if you would. As we go into a time of worship, the question that I think is kind of ringing, is obvious, is palatable. Here it is. I'm not going to ask you. The, the, there's actually two questions, but I'm going to ask you the first one. Okay, okay. I'm not going to ask you the first one because I think we all get it that we need, we need discernment. We get that. Okay? There's no question. We need that. But I wonder. Say, I want it. I want it. But. Before you lift your hand to say, I want it, know what's required. Ready? A life of prayer builds it, fuels it. Studying and knowing the Word of God develops it. Living a holy life preserves it, enhances it. So we ask Him for it. So how many would say, I want discernment? in my life. Thank you, Jesus, for every hand and every person responding online in the same. Let it be so, God. The rebuilds of our life, let it be so. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, let us be people of prayer, studying your word, pursuing a life of holiness so that, Lord, we are sensitized to your direction, your leadership, that we will know the difference between right and almost right. Spirit of the living God, Pour out upon us anew and afresh the gifts available to us as your followers in Jesus' name.